0: Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, July 3rd, 2022, and this is show number 895. Well, happy Independence Day to all the U.S. people out there, and happy Canada Day for the Canadians amongst us just a few days ago. All right, Stephen, my trip to Iceland is drawing very, very near. I'm going to be doing the show a week from now on July 10th as usual, and there will be a live show a week from tonight. But I have to turn around another show just three days later on Wednesday the 13th because we will be gone before the weekend hits. So that means there will be no live show on the following dates, and you can refer to your podcatcher of choice because it's in the show notes. There will be no live show on July 17th, July 24th, or July 31st. All three of those weekends, there will be no live show. I am not going to make Bart and Alistair do live shows on top of everything else, but they really, really, really need your help with creating the shows for the 24th and 31st of July. We have two promised reviews, but not yet delivered, and I never want to count it as in the bag until they're actually delivered, and only one person has sent it an actual recording, so we need a lot more. Dust off your mics, grab a piece of hardware you like, and tell us about it think about a cool iOS tool you've heard, never heard talked about on the show. Maybe you want to tell me how I'm wrong about something like hating the SD card slot and the HDMI port on the new Macs. Or maybe I'm wrong that CarPlay really is the bee's knees and I just don't understand. I'm 100% certain I've said something wrong on the show that you disagree with. I'm looking at you, Stim. And uh, so why don't you make a recording and tell us all about it? I will have little to no internets on the ship, so you can include me at distribution if you like, but I won't be able to uh, probably do anything about it, so make sure you send them to the two links that are also in the show notes, to podcasting at net and to zcarge at, me, at me.com. Anyway, like I said, there's links in the show notes, it's in your podcatcher, it's on the blog, you should be able to find those links to send those in to both of them, because they're going to just decide amongst themselves who gets which recordings. Thank you in advance for both of them. Let's keep this 17-year streak going. This week, I got to be a guest on Bart Bouchard's awesome Let's Talk Apple podcast, along with Adam Christensen of the MacCast. If you haven't listened to Let's Talk Apple before, it's a show that takes a long perspective on the latest months of Mac news. Bart started out the show by updating us on the latest pressures across the globe on Apple about their App Store and how legal regulators in the U.S. and Germany completely misunderstand what Apple and Google do to protect users' privacy. Bart gave us an update on all of the different unionization efforts at Apple, and we ate our vegetables by talking about the latest legal rulings for Apple. I enjoyed our conversation about the EU's plans demand that all phones, tablets, and other portable devices must support USB-C charging by the end of 2024 and how curious the landscape could become if a new connector is invented and the effect of this on wireless charging. The meat of the conversation was the recent announcements at WWDC. Because Let's Talk Apple isn't a try-to-get-the-news-scoop-first kind of show, we had the luxury of a few weeks for the news to settle out so we could see which changes Apple is bringing that are the most interesting. Talking to Bart about anything is always fun, and Let's Talk Apple is no exception. Check out Let's Talk Apple number 106 for June 2022 in your podcatcher of choice. In February, I told you about a really nifty free Safari extension called Keyword Search. I was so enamored with this tool to vastly speed up my web searches for specific sites I visit often that I decided to do a video tutorial about it for Screencast Online. I had so much fun recording this one because the extension works incredibly well and is really valuable to me. As always, I start by demonstrating the problem to be solved, and then I show how each one of the built-in keyword searches work. Then I get into the heavier lifting and I teach how to create your own keyword searches for sites you visit often. This part isn't hard, but it's definitely weird, and by going through several examples I make sure it's obvious that for even the most arcane search queries, you can still create your own keyword searches quite easily. I gave uh, in the show notes, I've got a link to a teaser video for you. And if you think it sounds cool, you can get a free seven day trial of the Screencast Online video tutorial service over at screencastonline.com. You'll be able to watch just not just my tutorial, but all of the current tutorials in that seven day trial. It's a dangerous thing to do though, because the content is so very good and you will want to subscribe. I've mentioned a bunch of times that I use a Synology with different shares in order to store files that Steve and I like to share between us and we don't want to keep on our Macs. I had a really curious problem this week and I wanted to tell you the different things I tried to do to fix it because it was a it was a really, really hard problem. The problem to be solved was that all of a sudden I was able to add files to my Synology uh, from my MacBook Pro, from my Allison account, but once those files were over there, I wasn't able to open them from the Finder. I'm talking like I get a document and I print it to PDF directly to the file share on the Synology and I try to open it and it would say, no, you don't have permissions. And that doesn't make any sense, right? Because I literally just created it. I can even do a get info on the files in the Finder that uh, when I'm connected over SMB to the file share, if I do a get info, it says that I'm the one who owns them, says I have read and write privileges which makes sense, but I wasn't able to open them. And I just really couldn't figure out what that was. So I started talking to uh, a gentleman you might know from the live chat room as Mr. Ed. It's our good friend Ed Tobias. And he kept giving me all these great solutions during the week. And uh, man, nothing was working. So he suggested go to the web interface to the Synology and see if you can and download from there and see if you can open them. And sure enough, I can open them. I can also open them if I drag them from the uh, finder in the folder where they look like they're living over on the Synology, and if I drag them, say, onto my desktop on my Mac, I can open them there. I just can't open them when they're sitting over on the Synology. I can see them, but I can't open them. Let's see. Um, then I got the idea, what if I went to my secondary user account on my MacBook Pro? So I've got a Screencast Online account. So I switched over to that account and I used uh, the connect to server from the Finder and connected into it. And I was able to open the files from there. So that's a different user account to the exact same file. Can't I can open it. Then I thought, all right, I've got another Mac Mini uh, that I uh, use as a Plex server, and it does a bunch of other work around the house here. And uh, I log in there with the same iCloud account that I'm using on my MacBook Pro. And I thought this would be a really good test because, in that case, I'm using the exact same uh, keychain item to log into the uh, through SMB into the server because it's going through iCloud keychain. So I knew that was that would be a really good test. And I went to the Mac Mini and I logged in with SMB. I, I put it up on the desktop and I double clicked the files on the Synology and they opened up. So now I'm really busted. I mean, no, I had no idea what was going wrong. And again, I'm I'm pinging Ed. I've probably written him 750 messages in the last uh, five or six days. Um, I was out on, trying to find, you know, on the Google somewhere, something about this, and I couldn't find hardly anything. But I did see a suggestion that system integrity protection on the Mac could actually be involved. Now, that isn't terribly interesting. But I the, the question you always got to ask yourself when something like this happens is, what did you just change when this happened? And I had just recently disabled system integrity protection just temporarily. Um, remember, I had the uh, universal audio interface the, that I just really disliked. And it was I complained a lot about how annoying the driver was. It was this huge file. It was like nine gigabytes worth of, of junk in the drivers. And I had followed all of their instructions to completely uninstall it. But all of a sudden, I started getting a pop-up saying I had a legacy extension from universal audio. So I wrote to them and they said, okay, the only way to really get rid of that is you need to turn off system integrity protection, delete the file, and then turn it back on. So to to turn off system integrity protection, you have to shut down completely and then go into recovery mode and open up the terminal and enter a, a, an arcane little command. Uh, I think it's... Um, Oh shoot, I'm not remembering the name of it, what it is exactly off the top of my head, but it's a real quick command. You tell it to disable and then you reboot. I was able to delete the file, go back in and enable it. So I had just done that. So I thought, well, wait a minute, if system integrity could be part of the problem I'm having, maybe I should try turning system integrity protection off again. So I shut down again. Oh, CSR util uh, disable. That's what the command is. So I disabled it again, rebooted back into my regular account, and I still couldn't open my own files on the Synology. All right, back, it shut down again. Go back over, CSR util enable, reboot again, come back into my account. All right, then uh, I thought, One of the things that can fix things is Onyx. Onyx is a free app that lets you run maintenance scripts. And I thought, okay, maybe it's going to go in and, I don't know, clean caches or check permissions or check the disk or whatever. I thought maybe that would work. So I ran the maintenance scripts, and they warn you. They tell you, I'm going to reboot you as soon as I'm done. And part of that rebooting is part of the cleaning up process. Well, it started, and it ran, and then it said... Yeah, you need to repair your disk. You need to go into recovery mode and and run disk utility and go and go repair the disk. Well, that certainly sounded interesting. So I shut down again and I went into recovery and I went into disk utility and I tried to repair the disk and it's it's real annoying now it's hard to tell which one of the disks they mean in in disk utility cuz you got all those things down the side. So I did it to a couple of them. And in both cases, it's a disk repair said, yeah, it's all fine. There's no problem. Didn't find any problems. So I went back into my regular account just in case thought, okay, let me check it. And I still couldn't open my files. So then I thought, uh, well, let me run onyx again. Cause maybe whatever I did trying to fi- repair the disk would fix it. I went back to onyx and onyx says, no, you still got to repair the disk. So I didn't know what to do there. And, uh, The only thing I could think of I I had left was to reinstall macOS over the top from recovery. Now this isn't as terrifying as it sounds. It sounds it sounds really hard, but you actually just it replaces a lot of system files, and it's it's real easy if you've got a a good backup. Of course, back everything up before you do this, but it's not that hard. It ran I don't know ran like an hour and a half, something like that, while we were having lunch, and it was done. And I came back and I couldn't open my files, so I told all this to Ed. And uh, he said something that, he, and such a great guy, he never says I told you so, but he said something I'm darn sure he said at the very beginning. He said, why don't you delete your keychain item in uh, on your Mac? And I told him I didn't want to do that because you remember I did, I even did a blog post about what a mess my keychain uh, was that had gotten broken and I had just gotten it all fixed, my access to my server. And he said, no, but you got to go delete it. And I was like, no, I don't want to. So I did and it worked. So anyway, the bottom line is you should listen to Ed the first time he tells you to do something, even if it sounds wrong and even if it sounds really hard. And of course, I was able to recreate the keychain item super easily and it worked just fine. But I thought maybe somebody would learn something by this process I followed, even though nothing I did solved it except deleting the keychain. And I don't understand why that synced keychain item works just fine over on my uh, Mac Mini, but it doesn't work here. So I don't know. (music) Welcome to part three of my tiny Mac tips. This is an ongoing series I started in order to teach my dear friend Jill from the North Woods how to move from being an adequate Mac user to a proficient one. If you're looking at the show notes right now and you haven't seen the first two installments of this, I put links to them in the show notes. Well, As I've mentioned in the previous installments, many of these tips involve changes to system preferences. In the fall, macOS Ventura will be released and system preferences will be replaced by settings. That means pretty much every screenshot I'm creating right now for this series will be obsolete and the names and locations of the changes will probably have moved. So good luck with that. All right, the first one I want to talk to you uh, kind of goes back to something I talked about in part two. I told you about how you can add any folder to your left sidebar of your Finder window so that anytime you, you need to have quick access without navigating to the folder, it's right there. There's a lot more fun to be had with Finder windows for those who like to customize things. Look at any Finder window, and across the top you'll see the icons for View, Group, Share, and more. Now, try right clicking or control clicking in an empty spot on that toolbar. You'll get a drop down menu that will change the way those icons look. By default, you see the icon in text, but you can change it to just the icon or just the text. With icon and text showing, the view menu is a drop-down to switch between icons view, list view, columns view, or gallery view. But if you change it to icon only, those four view options end up being displayed concurrently without a drop-down. I guess because there's room without the text? Anyway, here's a bonus sub-tip. To switch between those views, hold down the command key and one, two, three, or 4 to switch between them. I prefer column view, so I've memorized Command 3 so I can instantly change any window to my preferred file layout. Right click in your Finder toolbar again and choose Customize Toolbar. You'll be rewarded with a plethora of options you never knew you needed. There are way too many to describe, but you can drag up into the toolbar from that view a new folder button, an eject drive button, a trash can to delete files, and more. If you drag an icon into an undesirable spot in your toolbar and you wish you could put it somewhere else, just hold down the Command key and then click-drag the icon into the location where you meant to leave it. If you'd like to organize your toolbar options a little bit, you can add spaces to separate them and even flexible spaces. If at some point you go too crazy and you just want everything to go back to the original layout, you can drag the default set right back into the toolbar. If you have an app or two that you'd really like quicker access to than keeping them in your dock, hold down the command key again and just drag that application into your Finder toolbar, and it'll always be right there where you need it. Now with macOS, you can drag files onto applications in order to launch them, so it can be handy to have a few heavily used apps right in the toolbar so you can drag files right on top of them to launch them quickly. Now this trick of customizing the toolbar is not restricted to Finder. Try right-clicking on other Apple apps and even third-party app toolbars, and you might be surprised that you have more options available to you than you realized. Mail.app in particular has tons of very useful options you can drag into its toolbar to become more efficient, and maybe even take some out that you never use. All right, the next tip is going to be about window title icons. Have you ever navigated carefully down into a folder deep in the Finder, and then you wanted to save a file from an application into that same folder? From the Save As dialog box, you'd have to drill all the way back down to that folder, even though you already have a Finder window open right to that same folder. There's a very easy way to eliminate this problem. At the top of every Finder window, you'll see the name of the folder you're currently viewing. If you hover over that name for a little bit, a little folder icon called the window title icon will magically appear. We're gonna use that window title icon to solve our problem. So to demonstrate this tip, open a Finder window and drill way down into one of your folders. Now open up TextEdit and write Hello World into the file. Use Command S to save the file. When the Save As dialog box comes up, hover over your Finder window's title just till that little window title icon appears drag that little icon into the Save As dialog box. Now you'll notice that the location for Save As has changed magically into that deeply nestered folder without you having to do any drilling down into that folder yourself. If you like this tip, you're gonna get real tired real soon of having to hover and wait for that darn window title icon to appear. Back in Catalina, that icon didn't disappear like that and make you hover, it was permanently visible. In Big Sur, the geniuses at Apple decided a disappearing and reappearing icon was a terrific user experience. But in macOS Monterey, while it still does disappear by default, at least they gave us a toggle to make it permanently available again. To make this uh, challenge, they buried it in a quite unlikely place. Open System Preferences, Accessibility, Display, and then on the Display tab within the Display tab, check the box that says Show Window Title Icons. Now you can quickly navigate to any open Finder window location from all of your save as dialog boxes. By the way, you may hear the window title icon referred to by its proper name, the proxy icon. I learned about the proxy icon ages ago from Bart and it's one of my favorite time savers. There may be a theme developing to some of my tiny Mac tips, and that's that I create very buried folders and I need solutions for dealing with them. Every week I create a folder for the current week's podcast files. I have a standard naming convention for these folders, using the date as part of the name. I create these weekly folders in a folder imaginatively called NoSilicast Weekly Files. That's in my NoSilicast folder, which is in my PodFeed folder, which is inside Documents, which is inside iCloud Drive. Now, it would drive me bananas to have to dig all the way down to those folders while I'm working, so the new weekly NoSilicast folder goes in my left sidebar and gets removed when I'm done with that week's show. Deeply nested folders are also why I'm so fond of dragging the window title icon into Save As dialog boxes. This next tip is also valuable if you nest your folders as much as I do. In the Finder, go to the View menu and choose Show Path Bar. Once you select that option, at the bottom of every Finder window will be the full path to the file you've selected. At a glance, you'll know where in your file system you're viewing, but it can also be used for navigation. If you'd like to go up a folder or two higher, just click on the folder as high up in the path as you desire, and you'll immediately jump to that location. I have to give credit to Helma for the Netherlands for that extra bonus tip. Now, if you want to go back to your deeply nested folder after navigating up by clicking on one of those folders in the path bar, look up next to the Finder window title. To the left of it, you'll see a back and forth set of chevrons, check the back button and you could retrace your steps navigating up and down your folder structure. All right, here's another one for buried folders. Let's say you've got a file buried nice and deep and you need to move it to a completely different folder. You could open a new window, navigate to the new location and then try to jimmy the two windows around until you can see both locations and then finally drag the file from the old location to the new window. I find it much easier to use tabs in Finder Let's start with our original folder with the file we want to move. Hold down Command-T to create and open a new tab in Finder. Navigate in this new tab to the destination where we want to move the file. Switch back to the original tab. Now drag the file you want to move from its original location onto the tab name for the destination and let go. Boom! It's moved. You don't have have to have the two open side by side. You can just drag it onto the tab. Now here's another bonus tip. We just turned on visibility of the path bar at the bottom of our finder windows. If the second folder you want to work with is in that path, you can right-click on it down in that path bar and choose Open in Tab right from the path bar. All right, now let's talk about how much I hate to click. I don't know why, but it bugs me to actually click using a trackpad. The first thing I do on a new Mac, well, after installing 1Password text expander, of course, is head over to System Preferences and make some changes. In the trackpad settings, on the point and click tab, I check the box for tap to click with one finger. My stress level immediately drops. I feel very zen when I do that. That takes care of about 90% of the clicks, but not all of them. We've still got that control click to bring up contextual menus. Also in trackpad settings, on the point and click tab, I check the secondary click checkbox so I can tap with two fingers to bring up contextual menus. That's so much more satisfying but it still leaves one major source of clicks left on my system. So we've got one finger tap working, and we got two finger taps, but what can we do with three fingers? If you want to move a window around, you have to click and drag by holding the uh, toolbar up at the top. But macOS will let you use a tap and drag with three fingers instead of all that annoying clicking. This option used to be in the trackpad preferences, which made perfect sense because it was with one-finger tap and two-finger tap, but Apple moved it on us a few years ago and buried it where? In accessibility, of course. The accessibility preference pane is a very long list of items down the left-hand side. Trackpad is not in the list. Instead, you have to scroll down to pointer control. From there, you can push the trackpad options button. Finally, you'll be rewarded with a drop-down that says Enable Dragging, and from there you can select Three-Fingered Drag. I think one of the reasons I turn on these tap features is that in the back of my little brain I feel like I'm going to wear out my trackpad by too much clicking. But did you know that the trackpad built into your Mac notebook or your external Mac, uh, Magic trackpad doesn't actually move when you click it? The click sensation is an electronically induced illusion. I can prove it. Turn your trackpad off right now, or turn your laptop off, and then try to click the trackpad. It doesn't move. Isn't that freaky? All right, this next tip is kind of hard to to describe in a generic way, so I'm going to have to use a specific example. Once you understand the example, you'll understand the tip. Let's say you're writing an email, and you want to drag an attachment from your desktop into the email. You can't see your desktop where the file is because there's a Finder window under your mail window that's covering it up. To get to the file, you have to click-drag, or three-finger-drag, like we just learned, on that Finder window to get it out of the way. But as soon as you do that click-drag or three-finger-drag on that Finder window, it brings the Finder window forward. We didn't want to be in the Finder, we were trying to drag into Mail. So that means we have to click back into the Mail window, assuming we haven't accidentally covered it up by the Moved Finder window, and finally we'll be able to drag the file from our desktop into the email. Wouldn't it be way more efficient if there was a way to drag that finder window out of the way without bringing it forward and into focus? The trick is super easy. Hold down the command key when you drag the finder window, and it will obediently move, but it will remain in the background. I was beside myself with excitement when I heard Dave Hamilton explain this as a tip on the Mac Geek app just a few weeks ago, and I've used it about 25 times since then. By the way, I also want to give a hat tip to Ferrer, who also heard it on the Mac Geek app and sent it to me as a great suggestion for the tiny Mac tips. Awesome job, Ferrer. All right, we're going to end this installment of tiny Mac tips with an easy one you may already know. If you've got a few or many apps open, hold down the command, uh, sorry, hold down command tab and you'll see all of your open app icons visible in a big lineup right in front of you. While still holding down the command key, start tapping the tab key to cycle through till you get to the one you want. When you find it, let go of the command key and that app will come forward. You can also, while you're uh, holding command tab down, you can also use your mouse and just click on the app that you want that's in this uh, horizontal line. Now, if you've got a lot of apps open, there's a reasonable chance that you're gonna get impatient and you're gonna hit the tab key one too many times and you're gonna pass your intended app. You could just keep hitting tab while holding the command key down and cycle all the way around and back through your apps until you get to the one you want. But there's a faster way. If you pass your intended app, add the shift key to the command key, and when you hit tab again, you're going to start cycling backward through your open app icons. It's a little bit of a finger twister to hold down shift and, and, and tab at the same time. I'm sorry, command and tab and shift all at the same time. So you might want to use two hands on this one. During a very brief span of time, I was forced to use Windows at work. I was delighted to find out that Control Tab brought up the app switcher on that platform as well. So this is a cross-platform tip. All right, I don't have any more tiny tips stacked up. Well, maybe one is brewing right now. But as I go about my daily Mac life, I'm sure I will come up with more to tell you about in the future. I've noticed lately that most of the people I've been telling you about being awesome Patreon subscribers... Are people who've already been supporting the show for a long time but have decided to increase their patronage. I don't know if you realize this, but a very small percentage of the listeners and readers are the ones who provide this financial support to cover the costs of doing the shows. If you've been thinking about starting to support the show, now is an excellent time to show the value you get for all the work we do here at the Podfeed Podcast. Don't make these other people keep carrying the whole the the whole load, okay? You can do that by heading over to podfeedcom slash Patreon and show your support for the show. Sometimes when I'm noodling what to talk about on the show, I bring up the launch pad and I just scroll through all the pages of pretty app icons for inspiration to try to find something I haven't already talked about. I've been podcasting about tools for the Mac and iOS for so very long that this is normally a fruitless effort. I've already talked about everything. But this week, as I flip through my apps... I discovered one I'd been using for ages, and very oddly, I'd never gone through it in detail. I mentioned it once in 2014, but it was a really short article. You may have heard of it. It's a longtime Mac favorite called Moom, that's M-O-O-M, from Minitricks.com. I can't just describe one problem Moom solves because it solves several problems. Do you like your windows just so, and you get kind of twitchy when they get moved around? Moom can memorize the location of a set of windows across applications and put them back in position if they get disturbed. If you change context throughout your day and you want a different set of app windows arranged for each context, Moom can memorize those too. Moom will let you drag a window to the edge or corner of the screen for a quick snap to half or even quarter screen. If you're a bit more fluid in your window management and you'd like to be able to, say, center a window temporarily and have another window pop into maybe a tall column on one side and a third window in the bottom left-hand corner, you can do all of this with hotkeys or with your mouse. I don't know if window management is important for the visually impaired, but in my experiments, Moom was pretty darn accessible. I found a few buttons here and there that were unlabeled, but overall menus read out loud without excessive verboseness, drop-downs were selectable, and all controls worked as expected. Moom costs the princely sum of $10 from the Mac App Store or directly from the ManyTricks website. After installation, you can choose to run it as a standard app, but most users run it as a menu bar app. Now, Moom is a spectacular app, but near as I can find, there's not much documentation. They do have some FAQs on the website and they do have blog posts, but I wasn't ever able to find a manual. I'm gonna walk you through all of the features and explain them to the best of my understanding so you'll have this as a handy dandy reference guide. So Moom has some super nifty high-end features, but also has a few features that you get without any configuration at all. Once you've installed Moom, every window on your Mac will have a new feature. You know the little red-yellow-green buttons in the upper left-hand corner of every window? Well, the green button controls the zoom of that window. Without Moom, clicking the zoom button changes the window to full screen, but with Moom installed, it has new magical powers. If you hover over the green zoom button, you'll now see a little drop-down with five icons. Each icon represents a different way you can choose to have the selected window change size. Four of them will change the window to half-screen one for left side, right side, top half, or bottom half. The remaining option changes your window to fill the screen, but not go into full screen. So the distinction is full screen hides the toolbar of the open app and creates a separate space for that application window. When you use the fill screen button on the Moom dropdown, the window fills the available space on screen, but it leaves the toolbar visible and does not create a new space. In Preferences for Moom, you can add a bit more control to the way Zoom button works. The mouse tab of Preferences allows you to disable these pop-up controls entirely, or you can change it so you have to tap the the Command key on Hover to see those controls. You can also change the delay time for when the pop-up controls appear. Both of these options might be helpful if, most of the time, you don't want to use the pop-up controls for Moom, and so you want to be more intentional in using Moom's half-screen options. One of the things Windows users miss most when they use a Mac is the ability to drag a window to an edge and have the window snap to cover half the screen. If you like that behavior, Moom has it built in. On the mouse tab of Moom preferences, there's a sub tab called Snap to Edges and Corners. This snapping feature is enabled by default, but you can disable it in this preference pane if it gets in your way. There are eight screen zones that can enable snapping, not just dragging to the left or right. In the snapping preferences, you'll see a drop-down for the things you want to have happen when you drag a corner, a window I should say to any of the four corners, the left and right of the screen as well as the top and bottom. Now these drop-downs are set quite reasonably. If you drag a window to the left or right edge of your screen, a blue dashed rectangle will appear indicating that the window will snap to fill exactly half of the screen, split vertically. When you let go of the window, the rectangle disappears and the window snaps into place. Likewise, if you drag to the top or bottom, you'll see the blue dashed rectangle filling the top or bottom half of the screen. Dragging to the quarters of your window gives you windows that fill exactly one quarter of your screen. I assume that the drop downs and preferences to control what happens at the corners and edges would allow you to create a very confusing situation, like dragging to the top right-hand corner causes the window to fill the left half of the screen, but they protect you from doing that to yourself. Your choices on each of the drop downs are to keep the default, or to make the window fill the screen in that corner or edge, or do nothing at all. You probably have a corner and an edge that you don't want to have do anything. Now, one thing to note, when you move a window to the edge or corner, it's not the window location itself that causes the snap. It's where your cursor is that's dragging the window. For example, if you grab a window over on the far top left, you won't see the snapping rectangle until that part of the window gets to the corner or side. It's not a big deal, but it confused me for a while why sometimes I'd get the snap to corner right away and sometimes it wouldn't react at all. In the snap to edges and corners preferences, you can change the delay before snapping takes place. The default is 0.2 seconds, but if it's happening too quickly or too slowly, you can change that delay to your liking. If you use two displays, it might be a little annoying to have the snapping rectangle offered when dragging a window from one display to the next. You could set Moom to ignore edges that border on other displays. All right, if you feel like you've gotten your 10 bucks worth out of, out of Zoom already, that's great. But for that measly $10, Moom has so much more capability. To get to the advanced features, go to the Custom tab in Moom's Preferences. With custom controls, you can define specific sizes for windows and the anchor point for them, and you can define regions of the screen for your windows. I'll explain in more detail with examples in just a minute. Before setting up any custom controls in Moom, you'll see a few custom control examples created to get you started. The first two example customizations both show a dropdown that says Move and Zoom. Below that is a rectangle with a 6x4 grid of cells. The left two-thirds of the cells are dark gray and the right-third of the cells are light gray. The dark cells in the grid represent what portion of the screen the window will take up if you select this particular option. Move and zoom means that the window will move from wherever it is now and zoom in or out to fill the grid as shown. This is one of those things that's quite easy to understand when you see it, but it's a little clumsy to explain. There are three different ways to enable custom controls once you create them. With the window selected, you can enable a custom control by going up to the Move menu bar app and selecting the custom control you want. Your window will jump to that new location and size. The second method requires a setting change in Preferences under Mouse in the Zoom Button Controls section. By enabling the checkbox to enable access to custom controls, you'll be able to access them directly from the green Zoom button on your selected window. You can also choose to have them visible as soon as you hover over the green Zoom button. Now, when you hover over the green Zoom button, to the left of the Moom standard window configurations, so those five we talked about before, fill screen and left, right, top and bottom, you're going to see a little person's head with a downward chevron next to it. From that drop-down, you can select one of the custom controls, like the default that takes up the left two-thirds of the screen. Using hover on the green Zoom button is a little bit more intuitive, I think, because it's right in the window that you have selected, versus going all the way up to Moom in the menu bar but there's an even faster way. If you have a few custom controls that you really like and use often, you can set up hotkeys to trigger them more quickly. Each custom control in Preferences shows a little box in the upper right where you can click and then hold down a hotkey combination of your choosing. I mentioned that in VoiceOver, you uh, there was just a couple of unlabeled buttons To the right of that place where you can put in your your keystroke, your hotkey that you're going to define, there's a little box that has an X on it that erases that little box. That's the only thing I found that wasn't labeled in Zoom, in Moom. Now, that's not necessarily an exhaustive search that I did, but that's the one I found. All right, the first two custom control examples have the numbers one and two set as the respective hotkeys. For the life of me, I could not figure out How can you trigger those just by typing a one or a two? That doesn't make sense, because wherever you're typing, it's gonna just type the one or a two. But stay tuned, because I eventually figured out how to make these single numbers invoke those custom controls. All right, beyond Move and Zoom, we have more options. So while Move and Zoom are the, uh, they're like the flagship options within Moom, but you can do a lot more. Let's say you wanna create a video that's exactly 800 by 600 points on your screen. One of the default custom controls demonstrates the resize custom control. Instead of boxes you click and drag, you have dimensions in boxes two dimension boxes where you define it in points. Now that, another use for this precision would be, let's say you're taking a series of screenshots for a tutorial and you want to make sure you have consistency. When Steve and I create the live show for YouTube, we broadcast the window of my recording software, Hindenburg, and Moon can create that very precise size for me reliably week after week. When you choose a Resize custom control, your window will resize from one of the corners or the middle top, bottom, left, or right. You control this by setting the anchor point in a little grid. Now I can't think of a use case off the top of my head for the next two custom controls. They're called Grow and Shrink. With these, you define a specific number of points by which you want a window to grow and the edge from which you want it to shrink or grow. I'd really be curious to think if anyone can think of a of a, a use case for this and I'm sure somebody asked the developers to come up with it so there must be a reason you want to just say yeah I want this window to be 50 points wider. I don't get it. All right, one of the uh, custom control really baffled me at first. It's called toggle full screen. I see it's baffling because it does just what it says on the tin, but we already have a toggle for full screen. We can click the green zoom button on any window to go into full screen, and then hover at the top to get the toolbar to show again and click that same zoom button to bring the window back out of full screen. So we already have that toggle. Now it was baffling to me because it seemed far harder to go up to the zoom button, hover till the standard controls for Moom showed, then hover over the little person's head to reveal the custom controls, and then click on toggle full screen. But then I remembered that you can assign hotkeys to any of this custom controls so maybe this toggle does make sense. Now with a big display, I often want my application window in which I'm working centered on screen. Moom offers a, a custom control called Center, and curiously, it has two options, standard Mac OS Center and actual screen center. I didn't realize there was a difference, so I tested them both. The result might be subtle or dramatic depending on the size and location of the window before you command it to center. I started with a window that I'd set to half screen width on the left side, and I selected center for Moom. Both the standard macOS center and the actual screen center were from the same left to right, they were the same size, but the macOS center was just a few pixels higher. But in my second experiment, I used Moom to create an 800 by 600 point window, and I just kind of dragged it randomly off to the side. When the small window was moved to center, the macOS center was significantly higher than the actual screen center. I rather liked the centered but higher option that comes with standard macOS center, but you have a choice. Alright, so having these custom controls is swell, but it's also incredibly easy to make your own custom controls. Remember the first example that had the two-thirds dark gray cells on the grid and the one-third light gray cells? If you click and drag across any number of cells, they'll turn dark gray and change the configuration caused by that custom control. For example, if you click-drag the bottom right four squares, you can hover over the green zoom button and choose that option and make your window be small and in the bottom right-hand corner. The first thing I realized when I started playing with this method to define custom controls was that the grid being just 6x4 cells was not nearly granular enough. The good news is, at the bottom right, you can change it to be more granular. I didn't find the limit, but doubling it to 12x8 cells gave me more freedom in setting my window sizes. As you experiment with these custom controls, and even when you're really good at it, you're going to want to know how to remove them. Select a custom control and it'll get a blue outline. You can either hit the delete key to remove it or the minus button at the bottom of the window. Please note there is no undo when deleting custom controls. I've described a lot of the features in Moom that make it well worth the money and I haven't even told you yet about the feature I actually use the most. Moom can memorize the way you have all of your windows laid out In what they call a snapshot. As an example, my use case is when I'm creating video tutorials for screencasts online. Now, imagine if I was demonstrating an app like Audio Hijack for a tutorial. I'm recording away on Monday, but then on Tuesday I need to use my laptop for something and I unplug it from my displays and I come back later to do more recording. I can certainly try to get Audio Hijack's window right back exactly where it was before I unplugged, but no matter how hard I try, there will be a jump in the video and that is unacceptable. I could put in a transition like a page curl, but if you do more than a couple of these, it gets really uh, tiresome for the viewer. Instead of stressing out about window placement, when I'm setting up for a new tutorial, I put the recording software screen flow on the left two thirds of my big display and iThoughts with my mind map where I've compiled the flow I want for the tutorial. Then over on my laptop screen, which I keep set to a low enough resolution to create great videos for the viewers, I open Audio Hijack and I put it at the macOS center of the screen so it's high enough not to cover up the closed captions. Once I have all those windows set just the way I need them, I go to the Moom menu bar app and I choose Save Windows Layout Snapshot. The custom control type will be called Arrange Windows. There's a nice little title field where you can name your snapshot or by default it just shows the names of all the the applications that it captured. Also by default it ignores obstructed windows and that kind of makes sense because if a window was covered up you must not really care where it was. Let's say you get your nifty layout captured, but you change your mind on a window and you want to kind of move it a little bit. No problem, move the window or windows around and then choose update snapshot. You'll get a pop-up that asks whether you want to replace the snapshot or merge the new snapshot with the original. Now those sound pretty similar and in my usage, they're identical, but there is a difference. Let's say you have mail open and you save a snapshot. You just have mail. Now close mail and open notes. If you update the snapshot and choose Replace, it will only know about Notes, but if you choose to Merge, it will remember the location of both applications. Now, I should point out that Moom won't actually open a closed application, but if it's already open and it was part of the saved snapshot, it will place the window in the saved location. I love snapshots and my video tutorials are all the better for it. When I'm done with a particular tutorial, I just delete my saved snapshot. If you really get into having fun with Moom, you might create a lot of custom controls. You might create some for, say, when your laptop's connected to a big display, and others for when the laptop is standalone. You might create some custom controls for different contexts, such as work and play. For you, Tricks adds the ability to put some organization into your list of custom controls. In the same dropdown where you uh, add things to move and zoom, resize, or arrange windows, you have two other options, menu header and separator. Separator simply adds a horizontal line that you can move up and down to delineate different sections of your custom control list. Menu Header gives you a named menu header to separate your your controls, so you could have a header that said Work and a header that said Play, and drag that up and down until you have the right custom controls under each section. Now that you know all about custom controls, I can back up and tell you about a couple of things I had to skip over in Preferences. When using some of the standard window locations, such as left half and right half, the windows can feel kind of crammed together. On the general preferences pane, there's an option to separate the windows by anywhere from 2 to 50 points. I find the default of 10 points to be just enough room without wasting space. You can choose whether to also apply this padding to the screen edges so your, your windows aren't smack dab up against that edge if that makes you twitchy. Now, all of these many tricks in Moom are useful, but we really need to address the keyboard junkies in the crowd. We can't leave them out. We've given them a little bit with assigning hotkeys for their custom controls, but there's much more. If you look at Moom's preferences, uh, you'll find a keyboard pane, but you'll only see one thing. It says, trigger keyboard control with hotkey, and there's a field to enter a hotkey combo. As soon as you enter that hotkey though, this massive list of options suddenly reveals itself within keyboard preferences. There's really no explanation of what these options do, so the best way to figure them out is to use your hotkey and then see what happens. I hit my hotkey and a big Moom logo popped up on screen with right, left, up and down arrows around it. But I didn't have the foggiest idea what to do with that logo. Clicking the arrows around the logo only made the logo disappear. It was time to take a closer look at the controls in the keyboard preference pane. By default, the Show Logo box is checked, which explains why I saw the logo. The next checkbox says Show Cheat Sheet. With that box checked, using the keyboard shortcut now reveals a list of actions you can take when that logo comes up. It explains that hitting the Tab key will center the selected window. Space will make it full screen. Command Right and Left arrows will move and zoom to left half and right half on the appropriate side. You'll now also see drop-down menus to alter the behavior with command arrow keys, return, space, and tab, as well as adding more functions for adding the option and escape keys into the game. You can also choose to hide the logo since I don't think it does anything at all. If you've got a great memory, you don't even have to see the cheat sheet either. You can hit your hotkey and then trigger for the action you want the selected window to take. Remember way back when we first learned about custom controls, I said that there were two examples that had just a one and a two as their hotkeys, and I couldn't figure out how would you trigger them? Well, in the cheat sheet for triggering actions from the keyboard, it shows the two examples with one and two. So if you hit the hotkey that you assigned to trigger the keyboard options and then hit a one or a two, those windows will move into those positions. Mystery finally solved. That took me so long to figure out. Now you'd think that all the mysteries of Zoom, uh, sorry, of Moom would have been revealed by now, but this last capability was hard for me to figure out as well. Moom has a feature where you can click and drag with the mouse to define a screen region kind of on the fly that you want to fill with your currently selected window. Under keyboard for the trigger controls, you'll see options for how to control this click-drag on screen to set the size of a window but they don't do anything at all unless you've also changed a setting on a different tab in Preferences. Open up Mouse Zoom Button Controls Preferences. Enable Grid has a couple of options. You can choose to enable a full-screen grid or hexagons, and you can control how many cells you can use just in like where we were defining regions with custom controls. So by default, it's 4 by 6 So I'm not kidding, one of your options instead of cells is hexagons. I find the idea of using hexagons for this absolute madness. So once you've enabled the grid, not using hexagons because you're not an animal, and you've chosen the grid size, as before, I find that 12 by 8 cells provides just enough granularity, you'll have access to the grid in two places. The easiest place to choose a grid is to hover over our little friend this green zoom button. Now that you've enabled it, you'll see the five standard window layout options as before, but below that you'll see a rounded rectangle with a blue dashed outline. Click in that rectangle and it initiates the click to drag a region for your window. This is way easier to execute than it is to describe. The second option is to give us access to the click-drag of the grid with our hotkey trigger. In Keyboard Preferences, turn on the Repeat to Toggle Grid option. Okay, this is getting really weird. But if your hotkey trigger was, say, something simple like Command-T, to get the grid up, you'd hit Command-TT to bring up that click-and-drag grid tool. If the grid is your jam more than having quick access to your custom controls, you can actually choose to have the grid show first, and repeating your trigger brings up the custom controls instead. See why I said it might be easier to hover over the green zoom button instead? Well, I'm really glad that I walked through all of the options in Moon because I learned a lot trying to explain it to you. I use it all the time and have for years, but I definitely wasn't using it to its full potential. Now, I know I went into a lot of detail, and my goal with that was for each kind of user, you'd learn about what would work for you. If you're a mouse person, it's got you covered. A keyboard person, done. Maybe you just want to set your Mac screens up just so, like a certain Steve Sheridan, and never have to faff around with the rest of it. Moom is perfect for you too. Ten dollars for Moom from Mini Tricks has something for everyone. If you'd like to see Moom in action by the awesome Alec Johnson, he demonstrates how he uses Moom with his Stream Deck on his Take One Tech YouTube channel. I want to add one final thing. Steve just said in the, uh, when I took a little break while recording in the live show, he said, "Now I know why it's called Moom. It's move and zoom, move and zoom. Get it, Moom." Never did in a million years, would I have realized that. Thanks for, for telling us that, Steve. I wonder how many other people didn't get it before. Well, that is going to wind us up for this week. Did you know you can email me at allison at anytime you like? If you have a question or suggestion or a review, send it on over. This week, you could send it to me and Uh, Alistair and Bart, but next week and the week after that, you really got to send it to those guys for sure. Anyway, uh, I really hope you're going to do the reviews for them because they're doing me a huge favor and doing you a huge favor. I want to keep this streak alive. Anyway, you can also follow me on Twitter at Podfeet. If you want to join in the conversation, you can join our Slack community over at podfeet.com slash Slack, where you can talk to me and all of the other lovely Nocella castaways, including Bart. Bart confessed to me recently, he, I, I told him, I said, you, you haven't built really built a community. He goes, no, no, I like yours. I'm just going to go in yours. I'm really kind of an introvert and I'd really rather just join yours. So that's where you can go find Bart and chat with him. Remember, everything good starts with podfeet.com. You can support the show at podfeet.com slash Patreon or with a one-time donation at podfeet.com slash PayPal. But actually this week, what I think I'd rather you do is do a review for Bart and Alistair. You know how to do that. Anyway, if you want to join in the fun of the live show one last time before I go on vacation, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.